0: Uh, just to introduce myself. I'm Pastor Ben. Uh, I am the son of Pastor Stephen Mamie, proud son of Pastor Stephen Mamie. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm excited because I got—I I have two weeks in a row here, and so if—if—if uh, if, if, if you haven't heard anything that I've done yet, we've been talking about spiritual engineering, uh, just a concept of. Spiritual engineering, and just without going, I, I I was told the other week, hey, could you could you do less of the intro and more of the message next time? So I'm going to do less of the intro and more of the message this time on the spiritual engineering. But the basic concept of what I wanted that what I want to do with these with these messages is help us take away the unknowns that I think we put onto the things of God, onto prayer, onto some of the the, the scriptures that we come across in the Bible, where we read it and we say. I don't know, I don't understand that. I don't, I don't understand how that makes sense. Or things in our own life, whenever we don't have a prayer answered, and we just kind of cast that off of, well, I guess they didn't get it this time. There's it's more than that. There's reasons of why that happened. And so just comparatively in our, in our, in our natural world, engineers, and I, I work in a company that is full of engineers, engineers are people that don't like to have the unknown of why something didn't happen. It really bothers them. In fact, some of those are, those are some very entertaining meetings whenever there's a problem going on and you listen to all of them not know what it is. And you can watch them just kind of slowly get frustrated at the problem but then at each other because no one in the room has a good answer or anything to even begin going off of to figure out how to solve the problem. And then you have another meeting and you find out that they come back. and the, if, Man, if they come back to the second meeting and nobody has an answer the second time, you know it's gonna be entertaining. You just make a little bit of bowl of popcorn where you go into the beans, sit back and just let them go. <laughs> but what is it? It's their drive that they have to understand how to get something to work. And all throughout history, some of the greatest inventors that the world has ever seen, those people are phenomenally driven to understand the problems that they're facing. The situations, the environments that they're in, why? Because they want to create something that betters all of humanity. Something that, that almost can leave their mark on the world. And so that's what we want to do spiritually. We don't want things of God just to be cast off of, well, I don't understand how that works. I don't know why that works for some people, not for me. There's reasons why. And what I want to do is I want to encourage us throughout all of these is that don't just give up and just think, well, it didn't work this time. Go to God and find out. Why? What am I missing? What, what happened? You know, and, and maybe sometimes God is going give to you, give you some very unlikely answers to that. But I don't know. You, I was reading through the list of everything that Thomas Edison tried to put as filaments in a light bulb. Like human hair, dog hair. Somehow he got a hold of gorilla hair. Like, why would you even think that that possibly works? Because he was that driven to find some kind of an answer to the question that he had. And so what I want to stir in us is that we have that same level of determination. So today what we want to talk about in spiritual engineering is the blood. want to say the blood. The blood. <laughs> and there's a uh, scripture that I want to start off with in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Uh, we'll have it up on the screen here, but I want to encourage us, if we all could uh, read it together, I think this is, man, this is really, really, really a good one. Uh, for sake of time, we'll just read it off the screen. Uh, Let's read it together. It says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, and not, not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, and that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Whew. Basically, God says, if you want to have the ability to boast in this life, know me and understand me. You know me and understand me, you'll understand then what righteousness, loving kindness, and justice is. Yes. And you know, interesting, just, just, just quick thought on justice. Uh, a fellow in the Bible, Job, wanted to argue with God about Justice. And I guess he didn't think he was being treated fairly. And so, uh, you know how, like, whenever you're, kids will ask questions about how things work. Like, my son asks, asked me one time, why, why can't you put metal in a microwave? Well, you, you answer in the short form of because it makes sparks. I mean, I'm not going go to go and just start to talk about electrical charges and how the electrons move in, inside of the, the microwave and, you know, sharp edges can all say No, why? Because he's not going to understand any of it. I mean, he, my son's in second grade. I'm not going to go try to talk to him about algebra problems. He he, he's just getting the basics of addition and subtraction down. And so Job wants to ask God these questions about justice. And God comes back, and he starts asking him questions about animals. Like, do you even understand the animals? And it's like, well, why would God ask that? Because God was basically saying, if you can't even understand these basic things, there's no way you can understand my justice. Yeah. Like, understand where you're coming, where you're starting from. So look at this scripture. He says, if you know and understand him, you're going to understand something like justice and righteousness. Man, that's top-level stuff of what God considers to be the most important thing that we can have a grasp on in this earth. Man, good stuff. So as we go into it today, what I want to talk about is a, a, a catalyst. This is in... Have you ever heard of the word catalyst so without without getting into too too deep of a chemistry lesson with it, a catalyst is a substance or it 's something that increases the rate of a chemical reaction uh, within other elements so you, you, you can probably think of the, the all the, the like a science fair experiments that they have where you you have you, you pour the vinegar into the baking soda and what happens? you get the big volcano, the, chemo- the, the reaction happens. And all that is is just that vinegar is helping, the, the, the oxygen and the vinegar is being released extra super fast when it comes in contact with the baking soda. And so a reaction happens. And you notice if you ever do that, because, oh my gosh, have we not done that in our house a lot? <laughs> You'll notice that the baking soda still remains behind. And it's interesting thing about a catalyst is the catalyst will cause the reaction, but the catalyst usually doesn't change in the process. It's what it comes in contact with that changes. And so that's that that's kind of like a high level thing of, of the, the, the the chemistry side of it. Now if you if you go in and read what some of the, the these chemists have come up with and how they produce some of the chemicals today and how they use catalysts. I mean it's remarkable the the, the level of intelligence that these people put into how, I mean, like, if you go look at how ammonia is made. They're using iron, nitrogen, and oxygen. And the way they pass it across the iron produces like a 97% pure ammonia. And they've discovered this just by trying to figure it out. And it's a, but it's, it's an amazing thing. And so I started to think, well, there's more than just the catalyst of, like, the chemical reaction that we see. Because I think in our lives, you can have things that are catalysts for you. So my lovely wife. Before, whenever we, she shakes her head, because I have not cleared any stories with her for this sermon yet. So this is, yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> but here's, here's the idea. Whenever you fall in love with someone, you fall in love, right? We all, you, you, you know the feelings, right? And they're all feelings because there's not a whole lot of logical thought involved with it. But you know, you know the feelings. And it's, and I, I remember that whenever I was smitten with Amanda, and I, I realized like, okay, yeah, I am I'm falling for this girl. Whenever she came into a room, the moment she came into a room, it was like that—that gush of like. All of a sudden, you get like it's that—it's that weird confidence, right? It's because it's confidence in some ways, but it's weird because you'd have no clue what to do with it. You know what I mean? Like it's like, and so you end up saying things or doing things that are silly or you know, out of place. You know. Anyways, she was my catalyst. Whenever she came into a room, whenever I fell, fell in love, with, oh, man, all of a sudden, everything changed. Like, I, I, like I, I came up with, with strange topics of conversation just to have conversation, you know? And, and God bless you, you, you endured through all of it because I can come up with some really weird conversation points, right? No. But, but it happens in our lives, you know, emotionally. And here's, here's another one. You ever, you, ever been in a, uh, you ever been in a tense situation, right? And like there's, there's the tense situation and you're, sometimes you're with someone and you're like, oh my gosh, just, just, just don't say anything. Just don't say anything right now. Now, whenever, whenever I was in high school, um, I wrestled and I, I enjoyed wrestling. I, I learned a lot about, I learned a lot from it. I enjoyed the sport. I learned a lot about how far you could push a human body without dying. You know, it was, but it was great. Our, our coach, our coach, uh, just to say the least, he was a driven individual whenever it came to the sport of wrestling. You were all in, right? And so, uh, so, so here's, here's the story. So it was after we had a match and we lost the, the match. We should not have lost the match. Um, and our practices generally ran they were supposed to be two and a half hours, and we would always joke that we're not on the same, we're not in Eastern Standard Time, whenever that two-hour time block is, is two-and-a-half-hour time block is determined, because we would do the two-and-a-half hours, and it usually ended up being three hours, and the coach also encouraged you, you know, maybe getting a five-mile run in the morning, too, before school would be really good for your, your overall conditioning, or am I giving you a good picture of who the human being is? So, we're at practice, and we lost, and he is not in a good mood the next day, right? And so usually, whenever he is not in a good mood, we are all like, just keep your heads down, just try to get, do everything perfectly so he doesn't think that we need to go past two and a half, you know, we're, we're done at 530. We can just be done at 530. So, you know, 525 rolls around, and he calls out, everyone go to the stairs, and so, we all knew that our fates had been chosen for us. For the next 30 minutes, we were going to be running stairs, right? So, uh, as we go to the stairs, he is so lovingly encouraging us, you know, to push ourselves, unlike how we pushed ourselves last night in the match. And, you know, so he's, he's, he's uh, just so, so, so just loving and encouraging. He's just barking out these commands to run up these stairs. So, here's, here's the scenario. So, a guy that was a year ahead of me, Mark, he is, the coach is at the bottom of the stairwell, Mark's headed towards the top, and uh, the coach makes a comment up, yelling up to Mark uh, that perhaps he should run stairs, or that the way he is running stairs is, is a way that someone in high heels would run in stairs, right? No disrespect to high heels, or running in high heels, but anyway, so, so we hear that, and Mark shouts out, "Yeah!" And like it's it's that moment where like it's that moment that you talk back to your mom and dad at the wrong time, and you you know that's like, oh, oh, this we we are in we are in some bad country right now. Things are not. And so so. There's like silence, you know, and we, we all kind of, you know, you, but you're still just trying to go up the stairs because you're like, oh, God, just don't just don't get mad at me. Just be mad at Mark. He's the idiot that talks. Like, be mad at him. And so, but Mark doubles down, right? So, I don't, he yells back, why don't you put on a pair and come up and show me what that looks like? <laughs> and so, it's like one of those moments that happens where like all of a sudden, you see everything in the third person, right? You know, like, you, you realized you've entered into a different plane of existence. The catalyst, the catalyst has now been dropped into the solution. Things are about to change very quickly, very quickly. I have no clue how the coach got from the bottom of the steps up. So, I mean, like, I, I don't even, I don't even remember him passing by me. But I remember him getting up to Mark, and I, I, don't, uh, to do, I couldn't even tell you what was said. I just remember there being a lot of gesturing. I remember a lot of indiscernible yelling. And I remember the captain of the team telling everybody to get back down, that we're going to go back to, the, go back to the, the wrestling room and just jog, right? Which basically means that, well, Mark has determined that we're all going to die that day. <laughs> so... We go back to the room, and the Mark, Mark, the coach, join us shortly after that. He is he, the, He's not even like the same human being anymore at this point. All I remember, I don't recall when the practice ended, but I remember at one given point as we were doing army crawls, I remember thinking to myself, I don't know whether right now I'm going to break down crying or I'm going to throw up from the physical exertion that I'm going through right now. I didn't do either, but... Oh, man. But needless to say, that that point where Mark decided he was going to talk back to the coach was a catalyst. The situation changed drastically. (laughs) But here's the thing. Each of us, we have moments like that. We have things like that in our lives that are catalysts, things that change the entire scope of what we think, what we feel what we are going to say, the way we perceive reality around us. And what I found is that you, we, as everyone say, I, I choose the catalysts in my life. I choose, because you find that there's some things that drive just certain people absolutely insane, and then there's other things that those people couldn't care less. I mean, I found over the years, and this is, this is almost, this is strange. I, thank God, but I feel like whenever I was younger, driving around other human beings that didn't drive exactly how I drove drove me just insane. And now I feel like I, I'm kind of at the point where it's like, yeah, whatever, you do your thing out there, just don't hit me, right? My catalyst has changed. And as we think about this, this is what I want us to just to keep in mind. There's, there's, there's a few things, if you, if you look up uh, what it, you know a catalyst in chemistry, Just four things that they kind of call out. One, a catalyst will reduce the amount of a substance needed to create a reaction. So chemical engineers are constantly looking for catalysts. Why? Because if they can find the right catalyst for a chemical reaction, there's not as much work involved to create what they're wanting to create. Catalysts speed up a reaction. That's the other big thing why chemical engineers want it, because it gets the job done in a much shorter amount of time. Catalysts are never consumed. They create the reaction, and the catalyst remains. It's everything else around it that's been affected. And they lower the amount of energy that is required to make something happen. And I think that's so interesting because whenever I look at the blood of Jesus Christ, I think about it and I think it's a catalyst. It's a catalyst in our lives. It's meant to be a catalyst in our lives. It's like the most powerful catalyst you could possibly imagine. It not only affects natural things, it affects spiritual things. But I think the interesting thing is, is that we are the ones, just like I said, you choose your catalyst in your life. And to give you, a, give you maybe, maybe put this in another perspective in uh, Mark, uh, chapter 13, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase and go through it, but it's Jesus has uh, the parable of the sower, and he talks about four different kinds of soil. And he goes through and he talks about, he shares the story that there's somebody that, that plants four different kinds, they plants seeds, same seeds in four different kinds of places. One on the side of a road, the other in a rocky place, another in a place where there's thorns, and then the last one in a place where there's good soil. And Jesus says there's four different things that happen with that. First one, he says, is where, the, where the, uh, the word, the seeds are planted. And he's saying the comparison is, is the seeds are the word of God, where the word is planted by the rocky road, or by the road, rather. And he says, Jesus says that whenever it's planted there, because the people that hear the word don't have understanding, it says that Satan actually comes and takes that out of their life. And it has no effect whatsoever. It, wasn't. it was supposed to be a catalyst, but nothing happened with it. Why? Because the people didn't understand it. And I think, and I look at my own life too at this, of how many times have I heard something in a sermon and I think, I don't, I don't quite get that. But then I just pass it off and don't think about it. Well, it has no effect in my life whatsoever. Why? Because I had no understanding. Why? Because I didn't bother trying to go any deeper than, huh, that's interesting, what are we having for lunch? There's no follow up to it, and I think this is this is I think this is an epidemic we have with the body of Christ in general, just everywhere. Is Christianity has become this thing that we come to church one time a month or once every five weeks or whenever you know it best suits us or we've hit the disaster level in our life. And, but whenever you get those little bits of just word here or there, it's never enough you fully understand and appreciate it to have it be a catalyst in your life. So the first kind was the seed sown by the road, which there's no understanding. The second, time, the second kind was seed that was sown on rocky soil. And it says, Jesus says in verse 20, it says, The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, it only lasts a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the, because of the world, they quickly fall away. This is almost like the close follow-up, where this is the, you hear it, Man, that's good, I got, I'm excited about that, I'm excited about that, I'm excited about that. But then whenever Monday morning comes for work or whenever that next argument with your family member comes, or that next argument with your wife, or that next argument with one of your kids, all of a sudden you've forgotten about it. And that problem is now the most important thing. That trouble that you have is more important than anything you've heard previously. You've substituted what should be the Word of God, a powerful catalyst in our lives. You've substituted it with your problems. And Jesus says, nothing's going to grow from it. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. I think this is the same thing that happens, too, whenever we, co- and you, you, you only make it the. you're not giving God your entire life. You're giving him p- bits and pieces here and there. God, hey, you know, these, these three rooms, God, are good for you. It's like whenever, like, your friends have, your, your kids have friends come over, you know, it's like you shut the one door, and it's like, look, under penalty of death, nobody goes into this room. Do we understand? Like, everyone cool with this? Yeah, we're cool with this. Why? Well, maybe the room's a little out of order. Maybe you got stuff moving around, like in my house. There's never an ending project. There's always a project room. Every room, there's always a project room. There's always a project room. Um, <laughs> but I think we do that with God, too. We're like, God, hey, hey, cool, cool. Play downstairs, but do not go upstairs, especially the closet room. Don't go in the closet room. Well, why? We're basically saying, God, you could be in Catalyst and everything, your, your, your word, your, you can work in all these areas of my life, but don't do anything here. Why? Well, because, I, because of me. Okay, well, then you can sort out your problems. And g- this is the funny thing. Whenever you don't let God be a part of your problems, you know who you usually get mad at? God. It's like, ha- ha- help me understand. It's like, oh, geez, I'm sorry your, your, your poor decisions have led to bad outcomes. God, why did you, why did you do that? It's like, well, he's not been involved in any of it. It's not his fault. Jesus then says in verse 22, there's, he said there's another kind of ground, where the seed goes, but then there's thorns. He says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of the wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Here's what I want to say on this. This is where you hear it, it sounds good, and you take it into your life. But whenever the word of God starts to actually change and produce things, all of a sudden you're introducing different elements into that that alters the way the Word of God grows. So here it is. God makes it very clear some things about sin. But if you notice in our culture, our, our beautiful woke culture, what they've substituted for right and wrong is simply, well, what's someone's opinion? Everyone should have a say. Everyone's opinion should be, well, you know, if you have a different opinion, well, you you, you got to give place to that. I'm sorry, but whenever I read the Word of God, I don't see where my opinion matters. Yeah. I see where He tells me that I obey Him. Yeah. I see where He gives me clear guidelines on sin in my life. And He, whenever it comes to some of this stuff, He's absolute. It's not a matter of like, oh, there's a little bit of wiggle room, you know? Like, you know, the 5 mile and over the speed limit kind of deal. Or, you know, the 15 mile over the speed limit if you're driving a Whitestown road. You know, like... <laughs> there's the wiggle no 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 god says i don't care what your opinion is you follow me but that's what the thorns do is you get these other ideas that come in well and you know what the thorns this is exactly what satan did with adam and eve in the garden didn't god say you could eat from any tree in the garden what? Well, I mean, there's a little bit of truth there, but there's something twisted else with it. Well, You're not going to really die, are you? Yeah, we're on the topic, but, you know, it's not quite... We don't want to do... You don't want to... You know. I mean, Adam's like, oh, I don't want to offend Eve. You know, I don't want to say anything like that. Maybe I don't... Know. Right? No, 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 no. I mean, it should have been no. No, we're not eating that. End of the story. But instead, you let... In, in, I mean, can you see it? I mean, I've done this in my life. I'm not trying to say I'm perfect. I've taken things that God has said to me, and I've things that I've read in the Word of God, and then I desperately try through my own reasoning to make excuses of why I don't have to do exactly what the Word of God says. Here's the other thing. I'm going to share this. Your anxiety that you feel will do this to the Word of God in your life. Anxiety will twist the Word of God to make it ineffective for you. Why? Because you'll be so wrapped up with how you feel, you're more focused on your feelings than you are what the word of God actually says. Choose the right catalyst. But then it's interesting, God, this says, Jesus says then after that in verse 23, he says, but there's seed that falls on good soil. And this refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The seed wasn't different. The people's hearts were. And even in the good soil, even in the good soil, there was levels 160 and 30. That tells me that even if I'm receiving it in, sometimes there's only portions of it that I'm really walking into. There's more that it can do in my life. Amen. Amen. Guys, we choose the catalysts. We choose what makes a difference in our life. And so what I want to do today, without going too deeply into some big dissertation of of the the, blood covenant and understanding all that, what I want you to do today is I want you to get the concept that the blood of Jesus Christ is the most powerful catalyst that this realm of existence in physical and spiritual has ever encountered. And it is freely available to us. Freely available to us. To understand this, to kind of give you, we're going to go back to Adam and Eve and harp on them. Man, good thing God put it all in the book and we can say pick out how big of mistakes they made, right? Yeah, helps us a little bit, right? No, but if you go all the way back to the, to the Garden of Eden, God, God deals with the absolutes, and it was a perfect existence. And I want us to understand that the perfect existence was absolutely void of sin. He gave them everything they could possibly need to exist, and he gave them choice. There's a tree, don't eat it. It was the perfect existence for them. Everything was provided for them. In fact, they were so comfortable to be in the presence of God, they didn't even wear clothes. They were just comfortable being clothed in the, glo- I mean, it's almost like they were clothed within the glory of God, that there was no shame in it, perfectly, perfectly made in the creator's image. But then what happens? Well, we, we kind of give the precursor in the point before, they made a choice. They ate from the very tree that God said, do not eat from that tree. And so as soon as that happens, they immediately felt shame. They tried to hide themselves. God came into the garden. He's like, yo, guys, what's up? Let's talk. And they're like, mm, stay over here. And then God finally confronts them and says, hey, what's going on? And Adam's like, why, well, I'm naked, man. And he's like, well, who told you that? <laughs> you know? But then God finds out, did you eat from the tree? And he says, yes, I did. And there's something interesting that happens because at this point, and this is a concept that we need to understand and it says this in Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death. Any time that there is sin, death has to be there as well. There's no getting around it. The death may be delayed, but the death will always come. So the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, the first time that they encountered death was actually whenever God clothed them think of it, they never understood the concept of what death was until it says that God took animal skins and clothed them with it. That means they watched as God killed animals so that they could wear their skins just to cover their shame. Interesting. You know, it's kind of like whenever like you you have a a young kid and they, they see something on TV that's too much for them for the first time, I mean, like, they get scared. They really react. I mean, they cry. Like, it's a big thing to a kid. I can imagine Adam and Eve weeping as they watched an animal be destroyed in front of them whenever they had no concept of what that was before. But then death is there. And so you see this principle, though, carried out throughout the Old Testament then, is that people who had sin needed some way to reconnect with their God. And so you see this law of sacrifice set up. And what God did is he made a provision that if you want to encounter, have an encounter with me, you want to be close to me, you want to draw near to me, I can't have you come near to me as long as you have sin. There has to be death paid for sin. So God did this, man, and if you think about this, God in his mercy, oh, thank you, God in his mercy. He says to the people, you know what? You don't have to bear the punishment of the sin. I'll let you sacrifice an animal. It will be your substitute. And so the entire Old Testament is set up that anytime somebody sinned, what they did is they would have to go take it to an altar to a priest. And what that priest would do is he would literally put his hand on the animal and there was a spiritual transference of the sin of that individual into the animal and then they would kill the animal. Why? The wages of sin is death. say, well, Pastor Ben, that's not really pretty. It wasn't meant to be pretty. It was meant that people understood There is an absolute penalty to my sin, and it results in death. And if you think about it, I mean, the animal, thank God that God chose animals to do it. I mean, really. And in some sense, I mean, animals in and of themselves don't have a, a strong concept of right and wrong. I mean, my dog has a concept of right and wrong that I've helped her understand. You don't eat the cat food. You don't eat the cat food you don't eat the cat food you don't eat the cat food i'm not kidding ca- she knows it's wrong but she still does it and like i want to get mad at her like my gosh how do you not get this figured out by now and then i look at my own life i'm like yeah you know what we're gonna back off a bit from, from this uh gonna, you know god we just uh, have some cat food <laughs> i wouldn't eat the cat food though <laughs> So what happens is, is this goes through, and God, God finally gives a good explanation. I, I, whenever the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt, and they're getting their, the, 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 after they're getting the laws set up for them, for all this. In Leviticus 17.11, just for sake of time, I'm going to just uh, uh, read it here for you. God says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Whew, man, that's powerful stuff. That means that whenever God created this world and the elements of this world, and he chose what would be blood, God was careful about it to understand that the blood was going to carry life for all living things. And that he valued life. See, the concept of this was, wasn't that God just enjoyed seeing the wanton slaughter of animals. No. The concept of it is he was so deeply in love with human beings that he would rather see the other creation die in its place than have the human go on with a disconnected relationship from him. You see, because ever since Adam and Eve, whenever they sinned, there was two kinds of death that occurred. One was, and this is the big one, there was separation from God. God said, you're out. There was only one sin. That's all it took. I think we need to understand that's the level that we're really working with in the level of God's law and perfection. It only takes one. And then the second one was their physical bodies would then die. I mean, in some cases, it took them over 900 years for that to happen. I mean, Adam lived to be over 900. Think of that. God made it so perfect that even with the introduction of death, it still took death over 900 years to wear that creation down from what God had. man. I can't wait to get a glorified body again. Amazing. I can't even, yeah, I, I literally can't even fathom it. But the, I, the, the, the principle of this, this separation from God was because of sin. So God was saying, well, look, if you sacrifice the animal, it'll cover your sins. And then you can draw near to me. And this was a concept that was over and over and over seen throughout the Old Testament. But you see, God had a plan that there was going to be a better sacrifice throughout all this. Because he didn't want his people, he didn't want you to just be cut, your sins to be covered. He wanted them eradicated. He said, I want it spiritually to be as close to it as it was whenever I was with Adam. Whenever I could come down and walk with him in the cool of the day and talk to him. I want that level of relationship back and God knew that animals weren't going to get there. It wasn't going to be enough to satisfy sin. But up to this point year after year in the Old Testament, they were promised there's something better coming. There's something better coming in Hebrews. In Hebrews it's interesting it says that's why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, "You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings." But you have given me a body to offer. Jesus Christ was absolutely perfect. He was all God, but he was all man at the same time. He never sinned whatever he was on earth. Why? So that he could rub it in our noses? Well, I did better than you. No, he did it because he was a perfect offering. A perfect offering. Because God said, no, the animals aren't going to work. The animals aren't going to do it. Their life is not valuable enough. I mean, sometimes animals can be jerks, right? So I get it. But no, but God said, animals aren't enough. I need something different. I want these people back. And so he immediately, if you read in Genesis, the plan of redemption was set in place right then he told satan that the offspring of the woman will bruise your head you'll get his heel but he will bruise your head and then thousands of years later jesus christ is born with the sole purpose of becoming a sacrifice for us that his blood would be the exchange on the altar for all of your sin all of our shortcoming all of our failures all of our anxiety all of our unforgiveness all of our pain everything was meant to be exchanged for the blood of Jesus Christ yes. it was meant to be a catalyst that would totally rework us not just spiritually but naturally yes. it says that by his stripes by his wounds we were healed yes. that and if you read in Isaiah it makes I mean, uh, without go- turning there it says that it's not just your physical body that it was, it was your emotional self that is also healed at the same time. God had the plan of redemption so perfect that it redeemed your entire body. Everything about your existence as a being was changed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You might say, well, Pastor Ben, uh, I don't know, maybe you should take a look at my life, because I don't know if uh, that sounds like a really good deal. I'm I'm not seeing all that. Where are we at? What are you doing with the word that is received? What kind of soil are you? Are you the path? Are you the rocky soil? Are you the thorns? And even if you're the good soil, are you 30, 60, or 100? Where are you at? Because the catalyst of the blood of Jesus Christ is only going to go as far in your life as your faith will let it. It will only go as far as as you will let it. God, I'm not comfortable with that. Okay, then go without the blessing. True. That's where it comes to. You know, guys, I, you, you look at like our, 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 our worship on a Sunday morning. And just to give you the concept of, of this, if you put an Old Testament priest into this room, and let them enter into the worship, worshiping God like this, they would be going absolutely bananas in here. Think about this, think about this. In order for the high priest, whenever he would go, into a, go to the altar and make sacrifices, he would do it once a year for all the people of, the, of Israel. The high priest, only one person was allowed to go before God into the Holy of Holies. And what they would do is... <laughs> He would have to go through a very strict regiment to cleanse himself just so he could get close to God. Multiple sacrifices had to be made and then his own heart had to be pure. And you know what? Whenever he went into that Holy of Holies, they tied a rope around his ankles and the bottom of his robe had bells on it. Why? Because if that dude went in there in an unworthy way, he would be struck dead. Why? Because that is how holy our God is, and there cannot, there cannot be anything contrary to how holy He is in His presence. It's the instant judgment of sin, death. And so they knew if if Homie was in there doing his business and the bell stopped, uh, maybe give a little give a little tug on the ankle. You know, hey. <laughs> yeah. Every, everything is good going good in there, Hezekiah. You know, I have never heard from you in a while. But think about it, think about a Sunday morning now. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we can come into this presence of God. Any no matter what state of being we are in, we can come in, and while we are here, we can we can enter into worship without there being a fear of judgment like that because of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, my word, you put that old, the, the high priest to come into a room like this, and it's, you're like, well, you guys don't have ropes around your ankles. I mean, what's going on in here? Where's the bells? I mean, they, they would, and it does say, they longed for the day that we have. They longed for it. Why? Because they were held back by just the blood of animals that could never do what Jesus Christ could to totally redeem us. To totally transform us. It says in Corinthians, we are new creatures within him because of him. Yes. There's so much available to us, but it's up to us to get into it. And you are the, we are, we are the ones that draw the line of where is enough. Come on. We are the ones that draw the line. Man, I, where's the line? I don't know. Dudes in Old Testament, whenever they were walking through the streets, whenever their shadow hit someone that was lame or crippled, they got healed. Why? Because that was where they decided to let the catalyst of the blood of Jesus Christ affect them too. They weren't satisfied with just surface level stuff. Yeah, I go to church every week. I need more. Amen. Yes. It says that I, and then they, they start to read the scriptures. It says that I'm in him. Yes. Wait a minute. If I am in him, and it says that he dwells within me, the spirit of the living God dwells inside of me and then jesus says on top of that the miracles that you've seen me do you'll do also and you'll do greater miracles than these and so there's someone paul peter these guys in the we read about in the bible was it because the, the the gifts and all those things died off with the last apostle not even a chance you just, what you're watching and what you're reading about are people that were so committed to letting the blood of Jesus Christ absolutely change everything about them that they were on literally a different level of existence. Whew. All of us, all of us, it is available to us. It's available to us. The blood of Jesus Christ is the answer to every question you have. It is the fulfillment of every need you have in your life, no matter what that need is. I mean, really, are we going to cap the creator of heaven and earth, the guy that came up with everything that we see here, the reality? Are, are We're, we're going to cap him out? Oh, I don't know, God, that's too hard to do in my life. Bro, what? What? Yep. You're going to tell the guy that made all this? Oh, I don't know, God, my problems are pretty tough. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like my, 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 my kid telling me, you know, like, he has one bad day at school. My life is over. And, of course, we as parents are like, ha, 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 oh, you young fool, you know, like, because we understand the perspective of how minuscule one bad day of school is. Or like, well, you know, but, but how about this? We remember, like, our first breakup, you know, we're like, oh, my world is over, Right? But I think God sees that with us. We take our problems to him. Oh, God, this is so bad. I can't even think right. I can't even think right. And he's like, hey, man, uh, why don't you go spend an hour in this? Maybe change your mind. God, I can't. You don't know how I feel. No, I know exactly how you feel. In fact, that's what's so perfect about Jesus is our sacrifice, because he came into a body and lived a life just like us. And it says that he went through the same sufferings that we go through as people. He understands us. That's why it says that Jesus is not only the perfect offering, the perfect blood sacrifice. He's the perfect high priest. He can talk to God about how we feel because he lived it. He's the perfect catalyst. His blood is the perfect catalyst for our lives to change everything. But we have to let it. There's so much power available to us. And you see, the, whenever Jesus said, you'll do miracles greater than mine, there was one thing that Jesus did not do because his blood hadn't been offered up yet. You see, after his blood was given and he was that perfect sacrifice, now anybody who called on the name of the Lord could be saved. And so, whenever you introduce someone to Jesus Christ, and they give their heart to Jesus Christ, they acknowledge Jesus. I want you to be my sacrifice. I want you to forgive me of my sins. I want to be part of heaven's family. Whenever that happens, the most amazing miracle that could—and it's almost—it's almost to the natural eye, it's uneventful. There's no big loud boom. There's no light that shoots through the ceiling whenever someone gets born again. But it is the most powerful thing that changes a living being that was spiritually dead doomed to suffer eternity in hell now has been totally wiped off that ledger and put on the ledger of the family of jesus christ and in fact it says that jesus then sees you god sees you just as righteous as he sees jesus says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who is no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. doesn't matter what you did. There's a perfect sacrifice for you. You know, I want to encourage everyone, if you're, if you're here today, I hope you're all here today. Present. Present.